0: Well, what a blessing to be able to be here and to be able to be among true patriots. That's what I consider you guys, honestly, as true patriots. I think you're all amazing for the time that you obligate here, not only to the church portion, the kalah of what we do, but also the um, the community, the 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 fellowship, the nurturing, the looking out for each other. Uh, all of those things that that stuff's very important and there's probably ways that we can improve that for those that are in serious need within our group and and that's one of the things that uh I'm committed to doing here moving forward in this group um you know that I was Jerry and I this past weekend as we talked about we're flying uh we flew out to Arizona for the to the home for heroes America's Mighty Warriors Mark Lee Foundation Home for Heroes and we uh, flew out with, uh, I'm not going to say it on the recording, uh, a uh, Broadway show cast. And as you know, most, and I love Broadway. Those of you who know me know I love Broadway. So I love shows, I love musicals, I love all that. And I am from Rehoboth. I know you're putting the things together and wondering, is she just a show or what? But I assure you I'm i am hetero. Uh, and I'm even more convinced of that. Yeah. I'm even more convinced that I am because in the ride out there, we had them all around us and they were very nice, but their conversations were just. I couldn't believe some of the things they were saying. And they, of course, didn't know that two hardcore conservatives were heading out to do strategy and planning and all of this at the election, but hoping that we trounced the liberals. Uh, but here's the funny and crazy thing about it. They were just speaking so freely on this plane. And what the things that they were saying around me that I could easily hear were exasperating. They're absolutely exasperating some of the things they said. And so I wrote this on the way from uh, the way from Philadelphia to Chicago and then kind of refined it a little bit on the way from Chicago to Arizona. This is I call this the uh, finding the f- the peace to fight for peace, finding the peace to fight for peace. Relentless pursuit of right governance begets an environment in which love wins. We the people are daily bombarded with the pedantic whine of the aimless that conservative patriots are racist bigots wanting only strife and the restriction of the rights of the truly free-thinking, evolved, and enlightened citizens. We subsist inundated with the collective's pressure to remain silent or your values and faith will be held against you. In our impotent, compliant silence, we find ourselves enslaved in the punitive cell of tolerance and political and societal acceptance. Conciliatory and quiet, we present our wrists and ankles available to our captors. We offered surrender before it was demanded of us. We graciously permitted the co-opting of our vernacular, our culture, our customs, our faith and our practice, giving way to those loud, volatile, and self-absorbed among us because we did not exist and sustain in our own souls with the peace born of knowing and living the truth. We robbed ourselves of our blood-bought customs and liberties born of greater men and women than we. The blood of the greater before us stains the hallowed ground at the foot of the tree of liberty, their blood is long since dried to dust. The winds of hope and change blow absent our attention, the precious crimson dust of those who gave all in the sacrificial provision of liberty and freedom for their children and grandchildren, and what has been revealed to be the not-so-great grandchildren. The wind blows and we relent. Those whose fiber and metal formed the pillars of faith and truth was melted in the searing white flames of liberty. They are long forgotten in our books of history, forgotten by the keepers of history. We the people failed to guard the truth of who our authentic selves are. We are displaced unarmed guardians of a riveting and heroic history erased from pages of documents of account. A new history has been placed in substitution and the memory of our founders' intent is all but gone. Because we do not remember our simply grand founding intent, we have no peace in our conviction of the present because we have no conviction. We allowed the restriction and elimination of the inalienable rights gifted in scarlet stained wrapping within the declarations of men and women who are unashamedly real men and real women. We made clinical and sanitized the obtaining of our own sustenance. Hunters, once revered and admired for their life-sustaining skills, are reviled and cast out as heartless oddities, angry men and women of another less evolved time. Farmers and their ways are ridiculed and marginalized by those who could not provide even the most basic food and water For their families without plastic-wrapped shelves of food of obscure and unknown origin. They would be hungry and thirsty without the quiet and hidden provision of greater men and women of principle and strength. Societal education in the most classical disciplines gave way to the mediocre intent of propaganda and indoctrination. The commonness of the core of thought is the paradigm of those without regard for our founding fathers or yet values at all. The complex and shining history of this great land is unknown by they who were in power. The goodness of virtuous governance is thought pedantic and riddled with judgmental malice by those without respect or regard for the blood-watered tree of liberty, while they lament the loss of the weeds of apathy and socialism. Public acknowledgment of our original founder, is relegated to quiet and private, embarrassed acceptance, hidden within the walls of homes of only those who secretly believe while the predilections of the perverse are paraded on public streets. The halls of higher learning and even the churches and bakeries of the heartland, hailed as politically and societally correct, the private choices of a few become the mandate of many. Adonai Elohim is hushed in the shadows while those who oppose his goodness and deny his greatness, the blasphemers are lauded as heroes. Yet while our true national heroes, the courageous sheepdogs of a sheep people, are shoved into obscurity to be forgotten by an ungrateful people. Unvisited white crosses on the rolling green hills of Arlington and small town final places of rest bear humble and quiet witness of the defenders of a largely ungrateful nation why why did we not fight sooner and more vigorously why did we not protest earlier and louder the erasure of or princely or pricey heritage why did we so soundly collectively slumber despite the thunder of coming enslavement we fought not because we loved not we loved not the truth of Jehovah. We loved not the blessing of freedom and liberty. We rested too soon from the sweat of toil we did, an, did not ourselves expend. We rested too comfortably on the sacrifice of others far greater than we. We disregarded the warnings of the greatest among us. Their pleas to awaken when unheeded. Their calls to alliance and freedom when unanswered. We did not love liberty and peace, and love sufficient to defend them. There is a remnant among us. We are awake and aware. We are united. We are informed and enlightened, and the torches of liberty are reignited. We bear the image and likeness of the Father of peace and liberty, and we are prepared to win back the blood-earned gift of freedom. When one of us fall, one hundred. Will rise, the tree of liberty is parched, and we intend to feed it daily, for we love the gift. We love the gift enough to defend it, and defend it we shall. I wrote that because all around me, I was hearing things that I simply could not believe. I was hearing people who, uh, and I, the two that were sitting next to me, they were they were uh, a couple. And they they had just gotten out of college and they got this gig and another big gig, which is a big deal to get this kind of show right out of college. Uh, They were as ungrateful for the liberty and freedom to do this as anyone I've ever seen. The two behind me were louder than the two that were sitting next to me, and they were talking about crazy... Uh, They were both white. I don't understand what their self-hatred is, but crazy white people running around with guns trying to kill innocent animals, Uh, referring to hunters, and that should be made illegal, that people should not have guns, although they were joking about all of the psychotropic drugs that they take. They take this to wake up. They take this to calm down. They take this to uh, concentrate. They take this to go to sleep, and they take this other thing just to make them. I mean, they were bragging about all their things and their prescriptions, and, oh, God, if my bag doesn't land, oh, I'm going to go ape, whatever, on people. It was amazing to me, and I'm listening to these things, and then they start talking about the schools, and they're saying, we've got to win, we've got to win, we've got to start filling these places with our people so that we can teach what we want to teach, more enlightened, more enlightened things. And then he talked about, started talking about the military, and here we are, we're going to the Home for Heroes born of the death, the sacrifice of Mark Allen Lee. Killed in action, August 2nd, 2006 on a rooftop, saving his buddies. We're headed there to that home. And these people are making fun of soldiers. So I I have to say, I was so mad. I I could either talk to Jerry and yell back and forth because they were literally all around us. And then we'd be in a fight with these people. Um, Which, frankly, would not have been much of a fight. But, you know. Anyway. Broadway! Yeah. Yeah, we'll have a dance-off. It's a dance-off. I can't go left. Um, Zoolander reference. And uh, so, one of my favorite movies. It's the dumbest movie ever, but it makes me laugh every time. So, or I could just sit there and be quiet and, and just try to channel this burning and this is what came from i wrote it literally from philadelphia to chicago um and not that it's any great piece of literary anything but these are things i was hearing the things i was addressing i was hearing and when they went to the hunters calling them all stupid i thought "Well, how do you exactly think you get the food that you get and they were making fun of farmers for being backwoods and all this stuff and i'm thinking do you think your food just appears out of nowhere just magically these fairies come along and they package it in styrofoam and they put your food in there and you just go and get it. It's just magic how that happens. It was just exasperating. It was absolutely exasperating. What's that? Yeah, replicators, yeah. So so my thing is 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 uh you know what was interesting as we as Jerry and I got there and, and uh we got together for dinner with Big Dave. He's not called Big Dave for nothing. The guy is a mountain. And uh, lovely man, wonderful, wonderful man, very brilliant. Uh, he's the Blaze uh, guys on the Blaze, and he has his own radio show that's actually expanding. Um, really, uh, we had great conversation, and, and we really enjoyed our time. And it was interesting to see the different perspectives of the different people as to what we're encountering. Uh, and everybody had a different viewpoint. Elizabeth had a uh, very pragmatic, but very, she knows how, when th- certain things don't happen in Washington, we're all here going, this is a no-brainer. Why aren't we doing something? There's other things at work that we don't see, that we don't know the inner work. And some things they just aren't allowed to do. Now on the flip side of that, the answer to Elizabeth's amazing education for us was they're always doing stuff that they're not allowed to do and we let them get away with it. Um, if, and, 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 in, and in this piece that I wrote if we're if we're to change the tide, it's going to take more than a few people getting elected. Uh, it's going to take more people than what got elected. You might say, well, yeah, but we have a majority we we have a majority now that's meaningless if we don't keep the pressure on the people we just put into office, if we don't co- politely and kindly but firmly come alongside them and say, "Hey, welcome to your new office, welcome to all your new staffers. hope you hire well, hope you hire thoughtfully and by the way, we're going to remind you on a weekly basis. We're going to send you a little email. We're going to send you a fax. We're going to call your office every week, and we're to just t- t- touch base with you about your votes because there's this cool thing called the Internet that as soon as you make a vote, we know about it. And so we're going to be watching you and encouraging you and cheering you on or having a conversation if you don't do what you said you were going to do. If you start buying into the machine that is Washington, you know, so many go there, as regular people and come out as millionaires in one term less than one term There's a reason for that. They're peddling influence. There are all of these different things that happen um, We've got to stand in the gap of that we can no longer be the citizen who says I'm busy. I have a job I'm busy. I'm retired. I'm finally retired. I want to be able to do what I want to do I don't want to be tied up in all this because it's going to frustrate me to be doing all this We all have to be citizen Activists, we all have to play a, an aggressive role in our governance. What does this have to do with First and Second Corinthians? You might say, "Well, yeah, you were asking that, weren't you?" So here's the crazy thing: the Kehala, you Somebody was talking about they just went to a house church today and they really loved it. Said, "I think I might have found my church." How incredible! How awesome! We have other two in here who are uh, really enjoying another church. That's a large church one we've been to. Uh, very large church, and they're really loving it, and they're getting fed. They're getting really incredible sermons and an incredible uh, process that they go through that is biblically, scripturally accurate and dead on. So I wanted to clarify something right here and right now. I'm not against. And uh, somebody that read my book was a pastor and said, "Well, you're you're just a hater on big churches. You're just a hater on 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 organized churches. You know of any relevance or size." And I said, oh, no, 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 don't get it twisted. I, there's lots of large churches out there that I think are doing a phenomenal job. Not as many as the little country church that's doing a phenomenal job. There are, um, I heard a story uh, this week about the experience someone had when they were really struggling personally in their life and they went to a church and it was a small church. This is the closest church they could find. They were struggling and then the people around them made them feel worse. By looking down on them, you're not wearing the right clothes, you don't have the right haircut, you don't know the words to the song, you sing off key, whatever the case may be. You just don't fit here. We wonder, we ask ourselves, what's happened to the Kahala or the church? And we wonder why there's now this big church versus small church. Now, I know lots of people who love anonymity. They would no more be in this room because I'm walking around and I'm looking at all of you in the eyes. Uh, they wouldn't want that. They want to be in a place where they dim the lights in the auditorium so you can't be seen. And, you, you know, the guy's just looking into a dark space. He's up there preaching. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people in the audience and in the congregation. And so you, you just, and you can get out because there's a big mass push for the exodus, or a big exodus for the, for the exits. And so you you can disappear in that group. And then there's other people who say, those places scare me. Uh, There's a family that comes here periodically when they can, and and one of the family members struggles with um, agoraphobia, not necessarily just leaving the house, but being in large groups of people. This, to them, is a large group of people, and there's a lot of stress. There are a lot of people that suffer with that. There are some people who say, look, no bigger than 25, 30 people. I can't deal with it. The big crowds scare me. Or, you know what, a church is never going to minister to me they're never going to bless me. They're never going to know me or care about me if there's more than 50 people. You know, the pastor's never going to come visit me in the hospital or marry my kid or, or, or do a funeral of my husband or, or my dad. It's never going to happen in a big church like that. They're going to pass it off on somebody else. And you know, there's, there's arguments to be made, and I use the word argument. Uh, It's not really the best word to use because you're not really having an argument. You have a, a preference. Some people like the big church. Some people like the small church. If the big church is doing great things and preaching scripture accurately, great. If the little church is doing great things, good things every day, and they're preaching scripture accurately and they're ministering to each other, great. Awesome. Awesome. I guarantee they don't feed their people this kind of food, but... Whatever. That's why I come here, you know what I mean? That's why I'm currently trying to lose weight. <laughs> um, so what I'm saying to you is, is I don't ever want that misconception to be the case with you. I don't ever want you to think, you know, a lot of times you hear me, and it, those of you who have read my book know that I come down pretty hard on lots of different types of churches. I know lots of pastors hate my guts. I go to a thing once a month, and there's three or four pastors there who do all they can to avoid me. They do every single time, and it's a small, smallish group, and they, they, they will avoid me like the plague. Man, I will not be around that guy. He's a bad guy. He talks bad about us. He wrote a book that talks bad about us. They haven't read the book, and the only way they'll ever get the book is if somebody gave it to them, because most pastors are cheapskates. But what I'm saying to you is, is that I don't have a beef with them necessarily. And I don't put this up to be it, the Kehala. The 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the real Corinthians, if you will, man, they were jacked up. A lot of times we have this idea that the people in the first church had it all together. No, not even close. It was crazy times. It was crazy times. The other thing we do is we whitewash the Jew out of those people, and that's sad because we miss a lot of the beautiful culture and the beautiful uh, testaments of faith and, and the expressions of faith, all of those things, the, the, the demonstrations of worship and obedience and love for Adonai Elohim, and we whitewash the Jewishness out of it, and we miss a lot of the powerful meaning and the connection to God. And we say, well, that was something for another time. This is one thing that makes me very unpopular among contemporary Protestant pastors, Western evangelical pastors. This really grates on them about me as the constant bringing up of the Jewishness. Here's the thing. These people in this church were Jews. And they still were observant Jews. They still loved Baruch Hashem. They still worshipped God in in the Jewish Way in their faith and culture. They still observe the high holy days. They still there were so many things and That are beautiful expressions And they still did them I know Messianic Jews right now not even 40 miles from here who observe all the high holy days who they are they are uh, observant Jews very strict observant Jews, but believe in Jesus and believe that he is the Messiah we also tend to go against or think ill of Jews in general, and we try to de-Jew our, the origins of our faith because some folks say, "You know, the Jews killed Jesus." I'm not down with that. They they don't want me to mention Jesus because it offends them. You find a Jew that tells tells you that I'll be shocked to see it. I don't know a single Jew that minds you praying to Jesus. At the table if you're having a meal with a Jew and you say in Jesus name that Jew at the end is not going to go Hey, you know, I'm offended by that and I'm gonna I'm gonna sue you I'm suing you. I'm just done. I'm done putting up with all this Jesus crap. That's enough for me I'm done with it. No, they won't they're gonna listen and they're gonna respect you by and large I I don't my whole lifetime. I've never run across a single Jew who had an issue with me believing in Jesus The other thing about Jews and the original church, this Corinthian church, the the, the other churches that the letters went out to, I want you to remember these people were trying this crazy new thing. It wasn't Christianity. They were followers of the way. They were finding a new, because they believed this was the Son of God. and. My goodness, we have to worship him and follow him and be obedient to him. This is what we have to do, even if it costs us our lives. This Corinthian church we talked about, we read two weeks ago, we read a large chunk of passage. We're going to read a little bit more today. This Corinthian church was struggling with major issues. We, you know, nostalgia is a great liar. Have you ever heard that saying, nostalgia is the great liar? We look back we look back on, uh, you know, it's when the thug, the Michael Browns, the Trayvon Martins get killed. We look back on them. Well, he was, he would do anything for you. Oh, he was wonderful. He would do anything for you. He was so giving and kind. What well, sweet young men, you know, they just want to live hands up, don't shoot. And then we find out, we research their history, we find out, well, they're not like that at all. Well, we do that in our own relationships, right? We venerate people that have died before us and because we want to remember the good stuff. And so we venerate them. Nostalgia is a great liar. Sometimes we maybe go on a vacation that wasn't so great, or we had a job that wasn't so great. We had a neighbor that wasn't so great, but after they're long gone, sometimes we we whitewash some of that stuff because we don't want to be negative Nellies. We do that with churches. We do that with experiences. We do that with all kinds of things that we learn and that we experience in life. We do that also with the church, the Kehillah. We look back at the church with a nostalgia that's born of nothing. It's picking things out of the air that didn't exist. We say, well, in, in some passages of scripture it says that all things were held in common. How well did that worked for them, Jerry? How well did that worked for them? It didn't work. We read that verse and we and we read it as though that's the last statement on how churches should be done that everybody just puts everything in a pot everybody you know we all work and we give it away and those that can't work well they just come and take it and then it's fine we're all good it's great but it didn't work it didn't work and so we had to revise those things scripture revised a lot of these things does it mean we're not supposed to help each other let me tell you the government wouldn't have the power it has now if the churches did in mass if the churches did what they were supposed to do if we did what we were supposed to do all those years ago the government would have no power because there'd be no place for them. No one would be receptive to hearing, hey, you know, if you elect me, I'm going to get you taken care of. You're going to have everything you need, chicken in every pot. They'd say, are you out of your mind? Nobody cares for me like Jesus. Ain't nobody ever loved me like Jesus. How do you know that? Because the people in that church down the street, that little bitty church down the street, they see to it, I'm fed every day. They see to it, I'm learning to read at this church. There's some lady that comes in with a retired school teacher, a retired doctor, a retired whatever, and sits down with me and teaches me to read every week. There's a, there's a retired executive that comes in and teaches me about marketing myself and is showing us how to write a resume and how to do an interview. We practice interviews. Ooh, I'm scared going and Then practicing interviews. There's the elderly folks who come in and say, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Everything's different now. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. They wouldn't be receptive. Those folks would never listen to a government bureaucrat, sorry to be redundant, uh, saying, hey, you know, we're going to help you out. We're the answer to you. Why do you think they so aggressively de-God life? Why do you think they seek to redefine inalienable rights from the Constitution? They, why do you think they try to take God out of the Constitution, out of the Founders' faith? I know for a fact that many of our Founders, many of our Founders prayed for hours a day. There are more portraits of George Washington praying than of any other type and he said himself there is no more humbling activity no more humbling practice than to on bended knee crane my neck toward heaven pleading for the grace of the creator of all the one from whom our very breath proceeds. oh we've got to take that out We've got to get that out of the history books. We've got to get that out of the things. The original church, if you will, was a synagogue, was a temple. It wasn't this little house church where they were hiding the Christians, the followers of the way, were hiding from being slaughtered, being, being killed, being shut out of the marketplace. It wasn't that. It was temple. And many of these same people still went to temple. They still went. They didn't they didn't do away with that. So we have here a very competing thing. But we have to look at first and second Corinthians number one passages uh, in weddings. Right. Or from Corinthians. and You know, there's all these beautiful things. They don't even mean what they say they mean when they get applied there. Doesn't have any relevance whatsoever. But they say it because it sounds good. It's well, what a nice thing. It's a nice sentiment. The thing about this group, and the thing I want you to understand tonight, before we move forward with this series, is these people were messed up. And you know the crazy thing? So are we. There's not this drastic difference, this, this uh, amazing chasm between how they were and how we are. I say that to the detriment and to the positive. I say that because don't get it twisted. We haven't figured it all out. And don't be dismayed. They were jacked up too. You say they had the benefit of being just years from Yeshua walking the earth. Many of them saw him heal the blind. Many of them were there when they saw, when he said, when he spoke to the grave. Lazarus, come forth. And he did. Some of them were there when Yeshua himself, Yeshua HaMashiach, became Ruach HaKodesh and rose from and ascended from the surly bonds of this earth to take his seat with Adonai Elohim, his father in heaven. They were there, and yet they were still struggling with the same stuff in in essence the same stuff we struggle with the question of our own peccadillo's our own struggles our own uh, character defects our own chinks in our armor they struggled with them too hey they were prostitutes in the church y'all real prostitutes in the church There was all kinds of, you know, uh, so-and-so got more of the communion bread and wine than I got. What's up with that? How, how are we, uh, we going to do it this way? Why, are we, why, why do we think that we have it all figured out when the Corinthians, the, the first and second Corinthians, folks, this is powerful package. I, I have a powerful passage. I have just a few questions we're going to do in this series just for fun because it's fun and fun stuff is fun from chapter one. We're going to we're going to define as a group. What is the foolishness of man? Remember two weeks ago we read this passage. We're going to read it again. What is the foolishness of man? We're going to we're going to answer that question. What is the definition of wisdom? These are all important things to say. Listen, if we say if we say. We know what's wise and what's good. Isn't it important to be able to define what wisdom actually is? And what does God say wisdom is? It doesn't matter what we say. I'm not giving you a hint here. Don't nobody write this down thinking I just gave you a hint. But it doesn't matter what we say wisdom is, right? Because our wisdom is as foolishness. So anyway, the other thing we're going to define, what does Paul say about wisdom And I'll give you a hint in chapter two. What's the difference between the spiritual and the worldly brothers in the first part of uh, 1 Corinthians 3? What should a believer who is married to an unbeliever do in Paul, uh, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 8 through 24? We're going to answer that question. You say, what do I do? Uh, I've had people ask me that. And they say, well, here I got saved and I'm with this unsaved man. Or here I got saved and I'm with this unsaved woman. What do I do? What do I do now? Because they won't hear of it. They want to hear of my faith. Then they put trying to step in the way. I want to take my children to, to church with me. And they're saying, no, you're not doing that. We didn't get together like this. You're not doing that. What do I do? Listen, folks, this was a real struggle. This was a real question in the time that this letter was written. This was major How do I deal with an unbelieving spouse? Major thing. Then here's some simple stuff. Deals with pastors, so to speak. Apostleship. Um, What are the rights of apostleship? This is in chapter 9. I'm giving you hints there. This is free of charge. You might want to write this down. Save you on homework time. How does Paul defend his apostleship? Uh, Because Paul, as you'll remember, as a Pharisee, you know, let me tell you, Paul... They were very nervous about Paul. You know what I'm saying? Paul comes into the crib, and they're they're all like, you know, they're grabbing for the, they didn't have guns. I wish they did. But, it, but they're grabbing for the swords. They're grabbing for the sword, and they're like, oh. this guy was there when Stephen was killed. He held the coats. He cheered it on. And now this guy says he has an experience, and we're supposed to welcome him? And for the longest time, they rejected him. Yeah, they rejected him. Don't let, don't, listen, don't think that the apostles and the disciples, that they were like, oh yeah, whatever, (laughs) holler, we're so glad you had that experience, we're glad you're one of ours now, boy, are you awesome, you're so smart. You know, they didn't do that. They were very suspicious of him for a long time. They had conflicts and all kinds of things. Things didn't go as smoothly and as, you know, uh, sunshine and lollipops as we make it out to be sometimes I think we make what we do as church out to be sunshine and lollipops and we're terribly wrong and sometimes we feel bad about being so bad at church because we look at this first century church in scripture and paint it out to be something it was definitely not but Paul had to defend his apostleship he had to defend why am I here why you know why am I doing this and what are your responsibilities to me in doing this? We're going to answer this question. This is going to be a lot of fun. What was the abuse of the Lord's table referred to at the end of chapter 11? First Corinthians chapter 11. What is that abuse? And why does it affect us today? It's going to shock you. It's going to shock you. Why is the concept that spiritual gifts are under the control of the Spirit of the Lord important to an understanding of the doctrine of spiritual gifts? That's chapter 12. I'm saying you might want to write these down because you're going to have hints on the homework. It's not homework. You, we'll do it here. But that's in chapter 12. Understanding this. And listen, I'm going to talk about something that nobody didn't want to talk about tongues. Speaking in tongues. Now, with these braces, I'm sure you thought I've been speaking in tongues all this time, but I'm not. This is real. This is how I talk now. Then I'm going to ask you, what is your view of 1 Corinthians 13, 8? And then we're going to, I'm I'm asking me this. I'm going to interview me. You don't have to, unless you want to. Uh, I'm going to tell you what my view of that is. Very controversial to a lot of people, this passage. I'm going to tell you what I think. This is according to Paul we're going to say what spiritual gift we're going to determine this should be preferred to tongues and why is that the case what spiritual gift this is according to don't throw ox at me. uh, What spiritual gifts is preferred according to Paul to speak in tongues. And that y'all answering early that gone always the front of the class. Then the last thing we're going to we're going to answer in this series is how is the resurrection a key to the reign of Christ hear that again. How is the resurrection a key to the reign of Christ.